0: chapter two we're going to look at the first section of this chapter and if you remember as we gave an introduction to this epistle Paul is writing to this church who he spent three sabbaths with three weeks with and now he's following up with the second letter to do three things first to encourage them and we took our time looking at chapter one as to how he encourages them, what he encourages them to do. He's encouraging the believers to be faithful, considering the return of Jesus Christ. He's considering the believers to be faithful in love, to be faithful in loving one another, in now staying true to the Word of God, in having their faith grow and flourish and enduring and persevering through trials because this church was undergoing persecution. So he encourages them in the hour of persecution. But now in chapter 2, he enlightens them. What does he do? He enlightens them, gives them clarity regarding end time events. He's telling them now the timeline of the events regarding eschatology or the last days. And then in chapter 3, what he does is then he exhorts them about their carelessness. He says, don't stop working. Don't just become lazy because you know Jesus is coming. Don't stop working. Don't stop paying your bills. Don't stop being a good witness now that you know that Christ is coming. So he does three things. He encourages the believers. He enlightens them, and then he exhorts them. And today as we look at the Enlightenment, as we study that first half of chapter 2, we're now looking at the fact that here Paul is giving them clarity regarding the events that will take place in the last days. Now I want you to know something here. Bible prophecy is not for us to build a calendar. Bible prophecy is given to us to build our character. Not to build our calendar, but to build our character. And what was now happening here in this church is that not only was persecution disturbing the peace, but also false teachers were disturbing the peace. So this church no longer has peace right now. They're troubled. They're afraid. In fact, some of them are confused. They're confused about the times that they're living in. And I want you to know, as you come to church, as you open your Bible, you receive God's Word, there is no reason why the believer should be confused when you have the Bible. You should be studied. You should be aware. You should have a Bible literacy so that you understand the events that are taking place in our world. And notice what happens here is that he's telling them, don't be confused about Bible prophecy because of the deception that's coming into the church. Don't be confused now or afraid or troubled because of false teachers that told them that they were in the tribulation period and that they had missed the rapture. Just imagine that. They told them the tribulation period that you heard about, you're living in it right now because of the heavy persecution that you're experiencing. In fact, you miss the rapture. The rapture took place already. We, we we know of a date that was set and it happened and it is long gone now. It's been said before that date setters are usually upsetters. And that's what happened to the Thessalonian assembly. They were upset because someone had set a date that they had missed. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Only the Father knows when these things will happen. There's not one of us here that can say, well, it's going to happen on this date. And you'll find out or the world is coming to an end, right? How many of you remember the movement on the early 2000s, Y2K, where everyone was afraid of their lives? And the world is going to end tonight and everyone expecting, not knowing what would happen. And there again, the Lord showed us how man is wrong. We're so limited in our understanding. In Matthew 24, 42, Jesus says, Watch therefore for you do not know the hour the Lord is coming. We don't know the hour, but we do know the order of events. And because we don't know the hour, it only provokes in us a heart that is ready, that is looking up, expecting Jesus. Jesus. So notice there's three things that we see there in chapter two. Number one, the rapture of the church, the revelation of the Antichrist, and the return of Jesus Christ. And I'll invite you this morning that if you would stand on your feet with me as we read God's word, beginning in verse one of chapter two through verse 12. I'll read the odd verses and you read the even verses out loud together. 2 Thessalonians 2.1, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the fallen away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Do you not remember that I was still with you? I told you these things. For the mystery of the lawless is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Lord, we thank you for your word. It speaks so clearly to us. We ask that today you would give us clarity. The same clarity that your spirit wanted to give the church there of Thessalonica in this portion of scripture. Would you give us understanding today, Lord? Open up our minds so that we would perceive, that we would see, Lord, the things that you want to show us. And Lord, not only see them, but respond to them. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we would say, amen. You may be seated. We see there first the rapture of the church. He's giving them clarity regarding this event. And that they would know and that we would know so that we would, instead of having trouble, we would have hope. And instead of being confused, that we would have clarity. That we would be comforted in the hour of trouble. So he says, now, brethren, notice now he changes the word Now. He's transitioning here to a different subject. He's done with the portion of encouragement and he's speaking to the brethren. He's appealing to them regarding now the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you. What is referring to right here? What coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? He transitions here regarding as to how he will come regarding how Jesus Christ, our Savior, will return. The Bible tells us when Jesus himself said in John 14 that he's coming to receive us to himself. If you remember John 14, verse 3, he says, and if I go to prepare a place to you, I will come again to receive you to myself. The coming here that he refers to is the coming when he returns to receive us to himself. In fact, notice how it's supported there regarding the rapture at the end of verse one. And our gathering together to him. And when we meet him, and when we're gathered together to meet him, and when we now are reunited with Christ, and now when we are raptured, notice regarding this event, regarding the rapture of the church, we ask you. And here comes the clarity that he's about to give them. Notice what he says, not to be soon shaken in mind. Before he tells you what to do, he first tells you what not to do. And he says, do not be easily shaken. That's what the word soon means. You can write that word next to your Bible there, not to be soon shaken or easily shaken in mind. Not to be alarmed in your mind. Not to be easily afraid. There are many times where we hear something, whether it's bad news, whether it's something that's untrue, or something that's just circulating through the media, and all of a sudden, we become afraid. We're filled with fear. And he's saying, I-, I don't want you to be so easily shaken. This metaphor here of the word shaken is taken from the loosening of the ship from the bay because of the storm. He said, there's a storm coming through you and you're easily being shaken off of the bay. In fact, you're being moved. That's what the word shaken means. And that's the very thing that the enemy wants is for you to be moved away from sound doctrine. The enemy would want us through deception, through the lies of the media, through the lies of the devil, through the lies of the enemy, that we would be easily Shaken away from the truth. So he says, Don't be soon shaken. Don't be so easily moved. You know the truth. So don't get emotional or afraid so quickly. In fact, notice what he uses to follow up with that because he says, Shaken in what? In mind. Protect your mind and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You don't have to believe everything that you hear. You don't have to be afraid regarding every event that takes place. Don't be so moved in your mind from the truth. That's what he's saying. Don't be easily moved in your mind from the truth. Or troubled. Notice the follow-up word there that he uses, or troubled. The word troubled means disturbed. Don't be disturbed regarding your convictions. Don't be disturbed regarding your now uh, composure. You don't have to be afraid where it disturbs the peace in your life. He's he's comforting the church there. Do you see that? He's calming not only the mind, he's calming their heart regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus. He's stabilizing their faith. Why? Because they're afraid. Because the the mind is shaken, because the heart is troubled, because the peace is disturbed. And he says, now calm down, church. Now just settle down. Now, Now become strong. Now remember what you know. Do not be moved from your convictions or your composure. We should be people because we trust God that have a stability in our faith. That we don't trust simply emotions. We don't trust simply what we hear. You know what we trust? The very word of God. That's what we trust. And he says, don't be shaken or troubled. By who? Either by those that come by spirit or by word or by letter, as it is from us, as though the day of the Lord has come. There are those that are coming your way that say that the day of the Lord has already begun. And what is this day that he's talking about? They're coming to you, and they're saying that you are living in the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord, you would ask yourself? That you're living during the judgment period of Revelation chapter 6 through 19, after the church has been raptured, when the wrath of God is poured upon this world. When does the day of the Lord begin? It's not one singular day. It's a time period. Remember that today. You have to know this. The day of the Lord is a time period. It begins after the rapture of the church, when the wrath of God, the judgment of God, is poured upon the church, upon the world, after the church has been raptured. And it ends with the second coming of Christ, where we come with him and the millennial reign. Now, why were they troubled in this? Because they were going through present tribulations. Because they were going through present, now, persecutions. So there were those that led them to believe this is the tribulation period. This is the wrath of God. This is what we heard about, the wrath of God being poured upon this world. But notice how they would come in three manners. Number one, by spirit. That's how false teachers oftentimes come. And notice what they'll say. Thus says the Lord. I have a word from the Lord. They'll say, or you know what? I think that I'm a prophet or I have a message from God. Now, I'm not saying to not be open when God wants to use someone to speak to you or through that person to you. But you notice it must be consistent always with Scripture. We must test every spirit, the Bible says. And there were those that were coming thinking, well, by the Spirit of God, I come and I'm telling you this. I'm giving you a false teaching. Or notice not only by spirit, it also says here by word. What does that mean? That they're troubling them saying that they're coming and they have a special revelation from God. This is what the word of God means. Or have a, a word of God for the church. No, notice, there are those that are coming saying, thus says the Lord. There are those that are coming with false heresy and teaching using God's word. Or those that are coming by letter. What does that mean? Those that are coming saying that Paul wrote a letter Speaking about this, he says, don't believe them. Whether they have spiritual vision that they think, or they say, thus says the Lord, or they have a revelation, supposedly by a letter that I send, don't trust it. That is, this is not the judgment of God. This is not the day of the Lord. You see, people were teaching there about a post-tribulation rapture. What does that mean? That the church is raptured after the tribulation period. That's not what we believe. We believe through scripture that God spares the righteous from judgment. That we do not have to be troubled about the day of the Lord because we will be raptured to be with Christ if we put our faith in him. But you think about those people that hold that view of post-tribulation rapture. They have a lot to worry about. (laughs) They're worried about living through the tribulation period. They're worried about the judgment of God, the seals and the trumpets and having to live through all of that. But we know that we have a hope that we're saved from the judgment to come because we put our faith in God and Jesus Christ. Now notice, this is how they come, and they try to deceive you that you're living through judgment. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. You know why they were disturbed? I'll tell you this, the, the people were disturbed because they were allowing themselves to be deceived. And that's why oftentimes the peace is disturbed in your life because you allow yourself to be deceived because you don't remember the truth. This church was not remembering the truth. They were deceived, therefore they were disturbed. And he says, let no one deceive you in any way. Do not be fooled by what they say. Don't just trust what they're saying. In fact, notice he gives here, the conditions or the order of how things will take place on that day. By any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. There are two things that have to happen before the judgment of God is poured upon this world. And he's saying that day or the time period of judgment will not arrive, notice, until or Unless, circle the word unless in your Bible. Unless other certain events have taken place first. These are the prophetic events that make up God's timetable. That will not happen. God's judgment will not happen unless these things happen first. Now, what was happening here? They were disturbed due to the deception. And that's what's going to happen more and more as we live in the last days. People will come with false teaching, with heresy to try to deceive even those that are saved. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy three thirteen. he says this, but evil men and imposters, notice that, counterfeit people will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to go worse and worse. It's not that we're going to hear more of the truth. We're going to hear more lies. And Paul told Timothy, know this, on the last days, imposters will grow worse and worse. They'll be deceived themselves and they'll try to deceive other people. So here he says, unless this happens. And what is he referring to? The first thing is the falling away comes first. That day will not happen unless this happens first. The falling away he refers to here is a final great rebellion against God. In fact, it's what we know of as the great apostasy. That's what it means, falling away, apostasia or apostasy, falling away, a departure from the truth. Before the judgment of God comes, there's going to be a great departure from the truth. And it doesn't mean just merely disbelieving the truth, but it's an aggressive revolt against God and against the truth. Before the judgment of God comes, notice what's going to happen. People will turn away from God, and people will turn away from the truth. That's what it means to apostatize, to turn away from the truth. They will renounce their faith. It is interesting that more and more we're hearing people renouncing their faith. Even people that were Christian, people that professed their faith publicly, they're saying, you know what, we once served Christ, but now we don't believe the Bible. Or we're not Christian anymore. Or we don't believe the Bible is the inspired and inerrant inerrant word of God. That that, that maybe it's not totally true. It's not completely true. Or that we're not saved by grace. Notice these things that are going to happen. Or we don't believe that Jesus will come again. A liberalism that is coming to the church. And you know what he says here? On the last days, people will turn away from what is true. And they'll start believing other things. A postmodernism. A liberal theology, a heresy, people will depart from what is truth. They will depart from their faith. That's what's going to happen. In fact, I want you to write this down, First Timothy 4, one. it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from their faith. Notice that. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. On the last days, what's going to happen? People will depart from their faith. They would have been walking with the Lord. They're going to turn their back on God. That's what apostasize means. They're going to turn away from the truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, notice what it says. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. What kind of times? Dangerous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, and without self-control. Those are all words that describe the present time we're living in. Notice what he continues saying, Paul. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, oddity, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, notice here it is, but denying its power. That's what it means to apostate. You, I mean, you have a form, but it's really not true. And from such people turn away. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, speaking of the last days, and because lawlessness will abound, because sinfulness will abound, what's going to happen? The love of many will grow cold. Here what Paul is telling the church is what's going to happen on the last days is that people will turn away, they will apostasize from what is truth. And you see that today. What does the world say? That they say that, that what is wrong now is right, and what is right now or what is right now is wrong in their eyes. That there's no level of truth. There's no level of morality. Truth can mean anything to anyone these days. And he says, that's the very thing that's going to happen. People will turn away from the truth. They'll apostatize from their faith. They'll leave following the Lord Jesus. They'll depart. That's what the word means, to depart. This day of judgment cannot come until there's a great rebellion against God first. And notice here the second, now, thing that must happen before the judgment of God is poured upon this earth there. Verse 3 says, Also, and the son of man, or the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Notice how he describes here this man. It's the man of what? Sin. And so that man who is the man of sin is revealed, or the man of lawlessness is revealed, who nobody knows who he is, then the judgment of God cannot come upon this earth. Who is this man that he's referring to there in verse 3? The Antichrist. And we know and we hear of them in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation as well, but here he's referred to with two titles. The titles that he's given here is here, first, the man of sin and the son of perdition. First, he must be revealed before the judgment of God is poured upon this world. And the Antichrist, that word anti means against or instead of. That's exactly what the Antichrist is going to want to do during the time of judgment or during the period of judgment after the church's rapture. He's going to want to oppose Christ. He wants to come and be worshipped instead of Christ. That's what he means, Antichrist. That's what the name means. He wants to come and instead of Christ, he be worshipped. And instead of Christ, he be obeyed. And notice what it says here. It also calls him not only the man of sin, but the son of perdition. The word perdition means the one who brings destruction. Think about what the Antichrist is going to bring. That his character is described by one who brings the opposite of salvation. What is the opposite of salvation? Destruction. Unless he is revealed, the wrath of God will not come. This person that he's describing there in verse 3 is the ultimate personification of evil it's the devil here manifesting himself through the Antichrist the the culmination of everything that is opposed to God and know this even now the the spirit of the Antichrist is at work the Antichrist may not be revealed but his spirit is already present here in this world it's at work and in first John 2 18 John tells the church this little children it's the last hour We're living in the last days, and if they thought they were there in that time, just imagine where we are today. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, notice. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Many have come, false prophets, those who say that they're the Christ, those who want to be worshipped instead of Christ, those who come and oppose Christ. In 1 John 4, verse 2, it would say, By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not come to confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Notice this. What you have heard was coming and now is already at work. What is the spirit of the Antichrist? Anything that comes against Christ Jesus. And you know he's already at work because if you go to work, if you go to the grocery store, wherever you go, just say the name of Jesus and look at the way people respond. Everyone is Antichrist already. The spirit of the Antichrist is, is, is now ruling in this world in such a way that people want nothing to do with Jesus. That's the spirit of the Antichrist that's already at work. And the devil has been at war with God since he was Lucifer rebelling against God, and he tried to capture God's throne there in heaven. If you read uh, Isaiah 14, verse 12, what did it say, oh, Lucifer? He was a worship leader. And what did he think one day? For you have said in your heart, he says, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That's what one day he thought. You know what? Let me exalt myself too. That's a scary thought. Think about that. If pride was able to enter into lucifer in heaven you don't think that pride can enter our heart here on earth what did he think here i will exalt my throne above the stars of god i will sit on the mountain of the congregation that's what the bible says that he thought on the farthest sides of the north i will ascend above the heights of the clouds i will be like the most high god thinking that i want to be on the throne i want to be like god i want to take the glory you know what the lord says yet you shall be brought down to sheol to the lowest depths of the pits. So he was cast down to earth. And here he's describing the Antichrist. Notice verse 4. What does he want? The Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself. The Antichrist wants to be, instead of Christ, he wants to oppose the truth and anything that's contrary to God, anything who's contrary to the truth, he opposes. But then he also exalts himself. What does he desire? Not only to be instead of God, not only to oppose the truth, not only to oppose Christ, but here also this. He wants to be called God. He wants to oppose everything that is called or is worshipped to God. He wants himself to be worshipped. This is why he exalts himself. Notice, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Notice what he does, the Antichrist, And dwelt by the devil. He wants to be worshipped instead of God. He sets himself up. What does it say? In the temple of God, he takes the seat. He sits there as the temple of God there is rebuilt, and he's showing himself, saying, I'm God. He claims to be God. You know what the Antichrist wants to do, what the devil wants to do from the beginning of his existence is to dethrone God and enthrone himself. That's what pride wants to do. Every single day, you know what the pride wants to do? He wants to dethrone God and enthrone self. And that's exactly what happened there. The arrogance, the blasphemy of the Antichrist. Notice, this is who the Antichrist is. What he wants to do after three and a half years of peace, because he's going to establish seven-year peace treaty which is called the abomination of desolation. After three and a half years, what does he do? He desires and he demands to be worshipped in his pride. He has a demonic, empowered influence over the world. Will he bring ten nations under one confederacy, ten European nations? Not only will he use politics, but also the religious power and the religious now policies of the world to bring people under a one-world government under one world rule. And during that time, then there will be a time, a day of a great tribulation, when then he after turns on the Jewish people and then he persecutes them. He kills them all. He wants to. He wants to persecute them. And notice what we learn about what the Antichrist is there in verse 4. He sits as God in the temple and he shows himself that he is God. I want you to know this so that you would know the truth about what the Antichrist will do, that you would know the truth about eschatology and end times. Number one, he's a peacemaker. You can write that down. He starts as a peacemaker. And that's where you see so much unrest. That's what you see even right now in the world, between countries, between nations, people coming against one another. There's going to be a complete breakdown of society, of the economic foundation. And here comes in Revelation chapter 6. It speaks of the Antichrist who is a political, now peaceful leader that unites those 10 European nations into one strong power block and conquers the world, but he does it peacefully. So everyone thinks during that time, he's here to bring peace. The Antichrist is the answer. Many people will be deceived. And not only does he begin as a peacemaker, then he continues as a protector. Why? Because he's going to want to protect Israel, Jerusalem. He's going to permit them to rebuild their temple. And he will have a covenant between the Jewish people and the rest of the world. They will only last temporarily. He will solve all the problems of the Middle East and the crisis there. And Israel will rebuild her temple in a peaceful time during the rule of the Antichrist. Think about that. Many are going to believe he's the Messiah that we're waiting for. He's bringing us the peace that we always wanted. But what happens after that? After three and a half years, he becomes their persecutor. He says, worship me, I am God. And what does he do? He turns on all the world's economic systems. And he says, every single person must get the mark of the beast, which is 666, in order to buy and sell. He persecutes the world. And notice the stage is already set for something like that. A global attention where the entire world is controlled by governments. You see, a couple years ago, what happened? We would never have thought, I mean, a few years ago, that, that someone would have that type of control over the entire world. And we saw it happen. But then he becomes the prisoner at the end. Why? Because in the second coming, when Jesus comes with his church, he's going to cast the devil into the lake of fire and he'll be there forever and ever. His associates will become prisoners with him. Now notice in verse five of Thessalonians, what does he say? Do you not remember when I was still with you, that I told you these things. Don't forget that I've already told you this. Remember that you were taught about this. I, I told you these things. Early on in their faith, think about this. He was only with them for three weeks. They learned the deep things of prophetic truth there. There's no reason for you to be confused. There's no reason for you to be afraid, thinking that you're living during the judgment time. Remember and remain in sound doctrine and teaching do not be disturbed, remember the truth. Verse 6, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. But regarding the Antichrist, notice, you know what's holding him back right now. You know what's restraining him, the the lawless one, the son of perdition, the one that brings destruction, the one that brings deception, the one that wants to be worshipped. You know what's holding him back what is restraining him that he would be revealed and notice what it says in his own time the antichrist has his own time where he will be revealed but something or someone is restraining him right now and who's restraining the antichrist right now is the holy spirit the holy spirit being present in this world notice there's going to come a time where the holy spirit will let satan loose on this earth And the world would be given and released over to complete sin and depravity. There is a set time for Satan's program. Notice that. And what's holding back that program or that time is the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in his own time. Only when that time comes, then he will be revealed. Verse 7, for the mystery of the lawless one is already at work. Notice, it's already at work secretly. It's hidden. It's not fully known you can't palpably see it right now that way and you can't see it only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way now notice he uses the word he two times that is who is restraining the lawless one right now yes the Antichrist is secretly at work already but only until the one only until he who is holding back the sinfulness or the lawless one until he steps out of the way? Only until he is now finished with the restraining ministry upon the devil's work. Now, only until he's removed out of the way. Well, then the antichrist have power to take over the world. You see, the Holy Spirit is still Holy Spirit will still be present, and it will seal. Tribulation saints, the 144,000 Jews that will be saved will carry the gospel to entire nations of the world during that time, during the time period. And notice, some people will be saved after the rapture, yes, but it's going to cost them their life to live for Christ. Some will be martyred for their faith, Revelation chapter 7 tells us. But the Holy Spirit, during that time, he will not restrain the forces of evil like he is right now. So notice verse six and seven, The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, still today is being restrained. until he then, notice, is taken out of the way. Then, in his own time, the lawless one will have complete control. You see, there's nothing that the devil can do to change his timetable. And just like there was a fullness of time, Galatians chapter four verse four tells us, in the fullness of time, God sent his Son. To become a man and then die on the cross for our sins. There's also a fullness of time for the Antichrist to appear, and nothing will happen off schedule. Once the restraining ministry of the Spirit has ended, the next event will take place. And what is the next event? Then the Antichrist will be revealed. I think too many people today even worry about who he is. We watch the news and we think, well, you know what? I think that person's the Antichrist. I think the president is the Antichrist, I'll start saying. But I'll tell you this, don't look for the Antichrist. Look for Jesus Christ. We may not never know who he is, and I truly believe we never will. And that's good, because guess what? We'll be in the presence of God, so it won't matter. (laughs) We'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now notice there in verse 8 through 12, And then, don't you like those words, and then? And then says, after the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit has ended, then the next event can take place. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Then after that, the world would know who the Antichrist is, whom the Lord will consume. Notice that. That's the destiny of the Antichrist. When the spirit steps out of the way, the Antichrist will be revealed. That's the very one the Lord will consume or will slay. And you know how the Lord consumes him and slays him there? With the breath of his mouth and will destroy with the brightness of his coming. There's that second coming, how the Lord will destroy the devil. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, notice what it says regarding the future destiny, eternal destiny of the devil. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's what's going to happen to the devil there. And notice what happens there. It's the, with the breath of his mouth. We sometimes think, you know, it's going to be a big battle when it comes, the Lord comes, the battle of Armageddon, and that's what we're introduced. But notice, it's not even going to be a, a war. You know what it's going to be? It's just a complete annihilation. It says, with the breath of his mouth, he destroys him. With the brightness of his coming, think about that. God is going to judge the Antichrist, the devil, just in his presence, the brightness of his coming, and then he'll be tormented in the lake of fire. He'll be now damned for eternal judgment. Notice verse 9, it says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. And notice the Antichrist will come with false power. He's going to come with signs. He's going to come with miracles. He's going to come with lying wonders. But they're going to be demonically empowered. Do you remember back in Exodus when God had given the power to Moses? to perform those wonders and signs. Who came to try to counterfeit those signs? It was Pharaoh's workers with witchcraft and with the devil's power to come and try to counterfeit signs with false power. And there in verse 9, it explains that according to the work of Satan, that's what it means there, verse 9, they will come according to the power of Satan with all power, with signs and with lying wonders. What does that mean? he will bring a great deception. You know why people will believe him? Because he's going to come with signs. So when people see those signs, they're going to say, well, you know what, he must be the one. And they're going to be fooled. Revelation 13, verse 13, would you note this? It would tell us this. He performs great signs, so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he has granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast and those who are, were wounded by the sword and live. Notice what is he going to do. He's going to come with signs, with wonders, deceiving people. And it's going to be an unrighteous deception. Verse 10, and with all unrighteousness or with all evil, an evil deception, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved. Notice verse ten. It says here, he will use every kind of evil deception, a counterfeit, an impostor of Jesus. And what does he do there? It tells us here, with every type of evil deception, to deceive those who are perishing. Why do they perish? They're fooled. They're deceived. They're on their way to destruction. Because they believe those miracles. They believe, they believe that false power. That's why it's not simply about science. It's not simply about being loud. You know what it's about? It's about the character of those performing the signs. And you know what miracles do? You know what signs do? Even today in this present time we live on, signs and miracles, they don't point to man. If they point to man, that is not God. You know what they point to? They should always point to God and to Jesus Christ. Giving God the glory and notice here, the purpose of his miracles in verse 10. What does it tell us? The purpose of the miracles of the Antichrist is so that they would believe deception. What were the purpose of the miracles of Jesus Christ? Is so that people would believe the truth. And it says here in verse 10 that they may be, notice, they're going to perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Because they refused to love and accept and receive the truth that what would save them. Their hearts would be so evil of people that they would not even have love any longer for the truth. That's when the enemy takes complete control, where people don't even have any love for the truth anymore. They have a heart for deception. They have a heart to follow whatever the devil puts before them. And I want you to know this, even as we read this text, that the devil knows that one day he's going to be judged eternally in the lake of fire. He knows that. But you know what he wants to do? Why the deception is so important? Because he's so miserable when it comes to his sentence that he wants to take as many people with him as possible. This is why it says the people could have been saved. But what happens? They refuse to receive the truth. They refused there. In verse 10 it says, they did not receive the love of the truth that might be saved. They, they could have been saved. In fact, verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. God will allow them to believe the lie. God will allow them to be given over to their deception, the strong deception that they're given over to that they should believe. Notice the lie. It doesn't say a lie. It says the lie. Who's the lie? The devil. They're going to believe this lie. Why? Because the lie, what does it do? It appeals from day one. Notice, you know what the lie the devil appeals to? It appeals to the pride of man. That's why people believe deception, because it appeals to your pride. What happened in the Garden of Eden? When the devil went up to Eve, what did she say? Oh, you know, you're not going to die. That's not really what he said. You're going to be smart. (laughs) And sometimes we believe the devil when he comes to try to flatter us. Don't believe the flattery of the devil. You know what it is? It's deception. And the devil wants to come appeal to the pride of man with signs, with wonders. Appealing, deceiving. Wanting to make now you believe a lie instead of the truth that can save you. It's interesting because when you read from Genesis chapter one, you see that God has originally made man in his own image. You know what man is doing now? Man is trying to make God now in the image of man. Anything can be God. I, you know, I can rule as God over myself. That's what the world believes. And here it says, notice, there's gonna be a strong delusion. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, that person's so delusional? <laughs> They're so lost. That's what it means, delusion. It's not only a deception, it's that they believe a the lie and now they're lost. And then in verse 12, notice that they all may be condemned who did not, here's the key word, who did not believe the truth, but had a pleasure in unrighteousness. That's what's going to happen to those that refuse to believe. You know what's going to happen? Condemnation. Because they refused to believe the truth about Jesus. And not only did they refuse to believe, notice who did not believe the truth, but notice the, the second part there in verse 12, but had a pleasure in unrighteousness for they rather enjoy evil. That's what it says. They rather enjoy evil, the pleasures of this world. Their heart has become harder each time the sinner rejects God's truth. That's what happens. And that makes them... Now, more prone, it makes it very much so easier to believe the lies of the devil. But it tells us here this very thing. They prefer to love sin, notice that, than they prefer to love the truth. Notice the climate that he's speaking about a people, a generation, a time. Those who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness, they rather enjoy sin then enjoy and love the truth. Are there going to be people that are going to be saved during that time? Yes. But the Bible specifically says that they're going to be martyrs for their faith. They're going to be persecuted because they will refuse to take the mark of the beast or bow down to the image of the beast. And some people say, you know what? I won't make things right with God. I'll, I'll just die for Christ then. I'll be beheaded. And the only answer to that is if you can't live for Christ now... How do you expect to die for him later? We have to give our life to Jesus Christ so that we don't experience this condemnation. You know who brings the condemnation? The devil brings the condemnation. When we refuse to believe the truth. Condemnation happens and it begins in the heart when you refuse to believe the truth about Jesus. In fact, would you turn in your Bibles to John 3 with me? And if you're following with us on the daily portion, you would have read this recently this week. John 3, beginning in verse 16. We all know this verse. We're very familiar with this passage of Scripture. But it speaks about the salvation. It speaks about our faith. But it also speaks about our eternal salvation. Salvation in Christ Jesus. For it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes, notice, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we love that. That's the gospel. But notice verse 17. It speaks of the heart of man. It speaks of the purpose of the love of God. Notice, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. The condemnation doesn't come from the God. God did not create hell for people you know what he did he created hell for the devil and for the demons people just join in when they refuse to believe the truth and they reject jesus he didn't come to condemn the world but notice here well that the world through him might be what say it out loud with me Saved. he who believes in him notice is not condemned if you believe in jesus we're not condemned that's amazing the hope that we have but he who does not believe is condemned already <laughs> why because you refuse to believe you you're walking in your death sentence without jesus think about that you're condemned already because he has not believed notice because you have not put your faith in the name of the only begotten son of god you want to know that you will have eternal life Then believe you want to know that you're going to go to heaven and believe in Jesus Christ so that you don't have to experience this day of judgment. Let's pray